good to have you guys with us. Welcome to New City. Uh, we are in the um, book of Luke, and we're going through a, a short sermon series on Jesus's sermon on the plain. And so just to catch up, uh, for those of you who have not been with us, um, we, we went into this series right after Easter because Easter was all about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus um, and what He's done for us, who He is and what He's done for us. And we wanted to talk about life after Easter, uh, really life after uh, hearing about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and believing that, life after becoming a Christian. What does the Christian life look like? So um, in, in our first week, we saw Jesus, and there were two big confrontations between Jesus and the Pharisees, and that was those were over the Sabbath laws that the Pharisees um, were, were, were trying to force Jesus to follow. In those confrontations, we see Jesus not only claiming a, a greater understanding of the Sabbath and, and the law than the Pharisees had, but we also see him claiming to actually be Lord of the Sabbath. And by claiming to be Lord of the Sabbath, what he was claiming is equality with God himself, the God who gave us the Sabbath. So Jesus is, is claiming in those confrontations incredible, incredible authority and equality with God. Now we saw in last week's passage, Jesus calling the 12 to follow him, ultimately to be his witnesses to the world of who he is and what he has done. We also saw in that section Jesus exercising his authority. So he's not only claiming authority as Lord of the Sabbath, but he's exercising his authority and dominion over, over nature, over sickness, over disease and demons as he healed and as he cast out the demons. Jesus was fulfilling many of the prophecies of the Old Testament that had been spoken of concerning the Messiah. He was in those healings, giving sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, loosing the tongues of those who could not speak, and he was setting the captives free. He has claimed the authority of the Messiah, and what we've seen to this point is, is now he is demonstrating that authority. So this week, he's claimed authority, he's demonstrated authority, and now we begin to talk about his sermon, his sermon to the disciples and to the multitude who had, who had gathered to see and hear him. And in this sermon, we get a glimpse of his kingdom. And, 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 and let me say this, his kingdom is completely upside down. Uh, and so that's sort of a warning going into this. His kingdom is completely upside down. So let's, let's pray together. I'm going to ask if you would pray with me. Pray for yourself. Pray for me this morning. Um, pray for the people around you. Pray that the Holy Spirit would be good this morning to teach us, to encourage us, and, and to convict us where that is, is needed, to bring us closer to him and shape us more and more into the image of Jesus. Would you do that? Yes, good. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you. Thank you for um, the opportunity to gather together. Thank you for um, the music, uh, the message of the music and the liturgy. Uh, Father, thank you for Jesus. Um, I pray for our time together this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would be good. Uh, many of us need encouragement today. 
and, um, and you are able to do that. Encourage us. We need to learn today. We need to learn the truth of, of your kingdom. And so we, we pray together that you would teach us. Father, I pray as well that your spirit would bring conviction to our lives um, because often, often we believe and yet we don't believe. We, we, we love you and we forget what it means to love you. So, so help us. Shape us today more and more into the image of Jesus. Give us understanding. Give us strength. Give us encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, so I, I, I want us to go ahead and read our passage this morning. It's Luke chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 20 through 26. We should have those on the screen. Luke 6, 20 through 26. I want to back up, and, and uh, so back up with me to 17 as, as I look at this. I want to back up to 17 so that we can get a picture of what's happening, okay? So 17, and he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, from him and healed them all. So, so Paul's right there. Jesus has spent the night in prayer. This was from last week's passage. He spent the night in prayer. He's called his disciples up to where he is. And of the disciples, he has named the 12 who would become his first apostles, really 12 minus the one. And so he's with all of these disciples and the 12 that he is called, and they come down from where they are, and there is gathered a great number of disciples, we read. So Jesus had more than 12 disciples, and it was a great number of disciples who were following him, and they had gathered there, and Luke tells us there was also a multitude of people. A multitude of people had gathered from all over the region. Now, these people had, had walked or ridden donkeys or long distances. And so it's an amazing thing that this great multitude has gathered. They've gathered to hear him teach. They've, they've, they've come to be healed. They have brought others to be healed. And Jesus is, is, is doing all of that thing. He has been doing it, establishing his authority, fulfilling all of those prophecies showing the people who have gathered what, what life in his kingdom would be like, right? As he heals, giving them a glimpse of the kingdom that would be. A kingdom with no disease, no sickness, no demonic um, possession or oppression. Jesus is showing that he will restore the kingdom to what it was meant to be in the beginning, in the garden, before sin entered into the world. So we have all of these thousands who are gathered. We have all of this stuff going on. We have Jesus meeting with his disciples and, co and coming down with them to where the multitude is. And verse 20 says, and he lifted up his eyes on the disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. 
Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. With these words, Jesus brought utter chaos to the understanding of the kingdom of God to everyone who was present. This is the exact opposite of everything that they had grown up to believe. It's the exact opposite of of everything that they had been taught. Jesus' kingdom is not what they expected. Not what they expected at all. The multitude that Jesus had began to preach to was likely made up primarily of Jewish people. And I, w- I want to talk about, about, about how huge these words were to them. But, but the, the, the multitude was Jewish people. Jesus, they were, they were largely, the people gathered were very religious in their beliefs and practices of Judaism. Uh, they had the Old Testament. Uh, they had the law. They had the Old Covenant with God and all of those writings the law and all of the promises of the prophets were were theirs. God had made this covenant with them. God had spoken these promises to them, and they had all grown up knowing, knowing these promises and knowing this covenant, and Jesus was bringing into question everything they had been taught. In the old covenant, God gave the law to his people. In Deuteronomy 28, after the people received the law, um, the, the covenant that was being made, this was like a contract agreement between God and between his people, and it's explained in Deuteronomy 28. And, and basically, the summary is this, keep the law, follow God, do what God commands, and you will be blessed beyond measure. God will set you high, it it, it reads. God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All of these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. It will be an abundance of these blessings. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Wherever you are following God, you will be blessed. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. The Lord will even cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated. On and on and on those blessings go, described in great detail. Keep his commands. Follow God and you will be blessed with prosperity in every way at every turn. This was an old covenant promise. Follow God, keep his laws, and he will bless you beyond measure, beyond anything that you can understand in every area of your life. But, but, if you will not, in verse 15 it says, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes, then all these curses 
shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be, shall be your basket and your kneading bowl, the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your herds and your flocks. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you. He will strike you with wasting disease and with, with fever, inflammation and fiery heat and with drought and with blight and with mildew. And on and on it goes. Misery, hunger, defeat, disease, on and on. Those are the covenant promises to those who enter in this contract with God and do not keep their side of the bargain. Do good, follow God, and you will be blessed with prosperity. Don't follow God. Don't do good, and you will be cursed. This... This is the kingdom that was expected. And the expectation was when the Messiah comes, the promised one, he will bring with him fully all of the blessings of God that are promised. The expectation was that for all of God's good people, the Messiah is coming and bringing victory and prosperity. Prosperity everywhere, at every turn. Cattle, crops, families. All the blessings for all the good people. So when those religious people saw someone who was poor, Jesus was poor. When they saw someone who was poor, their immediate thought was, wow, this must be a terrible sinner. When they saw someone who was sick and who was suffering, when they saw someone who was, was demon-possessed, when they saw someone who was oppressed, when, when they saw someone with a great loss in their life who was, who, who was suffering and weeping and crying, when, when they saw that person, they said, man, what a terrible person you must be. God is cursing you. When they saw people who had wealth and prosperity and good health, Conversely, they thought, man, you, you, you are the good people. The, these, are the, these are the good people. They are, they are blessed because they are keeping the law, the covenant that was made with God. So, so, so putting that in, in context of, of what Jesus is saying here, right? In, in light of the, the blessings and cursings from the Old Testament, they would say, they would believe fully with all their heart, they would say, cursed are you who are poor. And they would, they would even not help the poor because they wanted God to go ahead and pour out all the cursings on them. Cursed are you who are poor. Cursed are you who are hungry. Cursed are you who weep and mourn. When they exclude you and, and revile your name, it, it, you are cursed. Blessed are those who are rich. Blessed are, are, are those who are full. Blessed are those who are enjoying life, a life filled with laughter and joy. Blessed are you when people speak well of you. And Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor. What a shock. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. 
Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets, but woe. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you. That's what their fathers did to the false prophets. Jesus is flipping the entire kingdom paradigm upside down. I mean, this is huge. Everything was changing with the coming of the king, and this kingdom was completely unexpected. Give me a couple of more minutes on that. I, I, I want to talk about those expectations and, and, and reality, the, the reality of the kingdom and the gospel, right? So, so we need to extend a little bit of grace to those people. We need to extend a little bit of grace to those Jewish folks who, who were confused here because they had read the prophecies of the Old Testament that talked about all of the blessings that were coming with the Messiah. Those prophecies are there. There, there, there are, are many of them that talk about the beautiful blessings of the kingdom that will be. And, and so they knew those prophecies. They never expected a king who would come and say, blessed are you who are poor and hungry and mourning. That, that, that wasn't the kingdom that they had envisioned. What happened was they failed to put together the, the, the promises of, of healing and prosperity with those prophecies that included a suffering servant. Like Isaiah 53, where the Messiah is described as having... No, no beauty that we should desire him. He doesn't look like the, the official we would elect or call our king. He would be despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, Isaiah says, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He would bear our griefs and carry our sorrows. He, he would be esteemed as one stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He would be one that we esteemed as stricken, smitten by God. He, he would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. He would be chastised and wounded. This is a picture in Isaiah, from Isaiah, of one who would be cursed. Our king. Jesus was the king, and the king had come. But the way of redemption and restoration was not what they expected. The king had come in poverty, like Isaiah said he would. The king had come in, in poverty, despised and hated by the very people that he came to help. He, he, would, he would suffer at the hands of man, but he would also suffer at the hands of God himself. Stricken. Smitten by God. 
This was the, the, the good news that they, that they didn't expect or didn't understand. The, the, the king did this for us. He, he suffered like us. And yet in his suffering, he obeyed and did what we have failed to do. He obeyed perfectly every command of the Father. He loved God with all of his heart, and he loved his neighbor as himself. In the end, the king would bear the very wrath of God that we deserve for our sin. This is the good news of the gospel. He would, he would bear the, rot, the wrath of God that, that we deserve because of our sin. He, he committed no sin. He died the death that should have been our death, and, and he did that on our behalf, rising from, rising from death on the third day, defeating death and sin and Satan. So again, the good news of the gospel, he, he did that so that we would never have to face it. He did that so that we would forevermore be with him and be in his kingdom. They didn't see it, but, but it all had to be done for our forgiveness, for the penalty of sin to be paid, for us to be made holy and righteous, justified in the eyes of our Father. And, and all of that is a gift for us, not through keeping the law, which we all fail to do. It is a gift for us through faith in his work and not our own. This is the new covenant that Jeremiah talked about in Jeremiah 31, a, a covenant of faith secured wholly in the blood of the sacrifice, not in our great ability to keep the rules. He's flipped the kingdom completely upside down. Now stick with me. The king has come. He's, he's demonstrated his authority, the authority that was given to him uh, over religious people, over sickness, over demons, over disease, over nature, over all of it. We, we know that he has defeated death and sin and Satan through his life and his death and his resurrection, right? His, his kingdom has been established. Our king has come, we read about it in the scripture, we see it in the New Testament, we see his life, we see his death, we see our king victorious in his resurrection, we see him declaring throughout the gospels, the kingdom of God is at hand. Our king has come and the king has set up his kingdom. He is now already the king, and there is now already a kingdom, but his kingdom has not yet been established in its fullness. Our king has left, right? We read about that in the beginning of the book of Acts, that, that, that our king has gone, but he's promised to return. And we should be thankful that he tarries to return. We should be thankful that, that he, he didn't rush back. Because the truth is, if, if he had rushed back, we would not be here, and we certainly wouldn't be here as believers. We should be thankful, though we long for his return and the kingdom to be fully and, and finally established. Every day that he tarries is a day for someone that we, we know who does not love and follow, who does not believe the truth of the good news of the gospel. Every day that he tarries is a, is a day that there is hope for that person. He continues to add to his kingdom while he is away, but one day he is coming back, and when he does, he will fully and finally and finalish his kingdom. He will fully and finally deal with his enemies, and he will fully and finally redeem and restore all of creation to those beautiful pictures that the prophets told us about. 
No more sickness, no more war, no more death, no more disease. That day is coming. So when it comes to the kingdom, what, what, what we're talking about is something that theologians describe as the already and the not yet. Already our king has come and he has defeated death and sin and Satan. His kingdom already is, but it is not what it will be. It is not yet what it will be. Now, what this means for us is that we, like those disciples and the multitude that Jesus preached to, we live in this not yet kingdom. That's the kingdom that we live in. A kingdom where the king would suffer and where suffering continues until he returns. Now, let me try to put this together and talk about what Jesus has said. Let's think about the king's countercultural kingdom. So think about that scene again. Healings, demons cast out, thousands gathering to see and hear. It's like a, like a circus environment with all of, the, all of the people and all of the noise and everyone trying to get close to Jesus. And, and, and verse 20 said, And he, Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Let me tell you what I think here. I think Jesus was feeling the weight of what was coming. I think Jesus was warning his disciples, and maybe they were already experiencing it as he had called them to leave home and to leave family and to leave their job and to follow him. Blessed are you disciples. Blessed are you disciples following me who are poor because of me. I don't think that we should miss this. This isn't a blanket statement on poverty. This is a, a, a statement from Jesus, our King, to those disciples who were following him. Blessed are you disciples following me who are poor because of me. One day the entire kingdom in all of its fullness will be yours. I think when he said, blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied, I think he was encouraging them in their literal hunger for food. Because they followed him. One day, he says, you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep and mourn now, who, who weep and mourn now because of me. One day your mourning shall be turned to laughter. Blessed are you when, when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. On account of me, he says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Jesus knew the suffering that he was facing. He knew the suffering that would be his, and he knew the suffering that would be theirs. Already they were suffering because they followed him. The king is telling them what they should expect in his present kingdom. It's upside down. 
The world will call you cursed. You will question. You will question whether you're cursed or not or whether all of this is true. I'm telling you now, Jesus said, the kingdom is yours when you follow me. You are blessed. You're, you're, you're blessed in your poverty because of me. You're blessed in your hunger because of me. You're blessed even though you weep and mourn now because you follow me. The, the kingdom is yours. You're blessed though they, they speak poorly of you and they, 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 they tell others how terrible you are. They speak so, so poorly of your name. They drag you through the mud. Rejoice in that. Your reward is great in heaven. There is so much love and compassion in these words from Jesus. He's preparing his disciples. Think about what they would go through. He's describing what they would go through. Here's what your life will be like as you follow me. The 12 that I've just called, those who would be apostles, this is what your life will be. But you, you will be blessed. He's preparing his disciples. He's, he's teaching the truth uh, about his kingdom, the kingdom that is right now, the already kingdom. He's telling them about what life will be like as they, as they follow him. This is a, a hard picture. These are difficult words. Like This is not how to recruit a big team. Hear me. I think that we are not all that different from the crowd who heard Jesus preach that day. We have come to believe with them that if we just do the right things, our life will be filled with blessing, prosperity, and happiness. Our relationship with God is often transactional. We, we do these things in order to receive these blessings. God, I did my part. You do your part. Even if our mouths don't say it and won't say it, we believe the prosperity gospel. Functionally, we believe the prosperity gospel of health, wealth, and healing. Just like them. As if our king has not told us that we too will suffer. Our culture, like their culture, our culture tells us that success in life and even value as a human being is measured by how much you make. Are you listening to me this morning? It's how much you make. It's, it's where you live. It's what you drive. It's even the vacations that you take and the, the, the trips that you take, even the places that you go, the food that you eat. Power and, and, and prestige and, and place in the community all linked to those successes. And those are the people we listen to. 
Those are the people that we listen to. Those are the people that we look to. Those are the people that we follow. Those are the successful people, the ones who are wealthy, the ones who are enjoying all that life has to offer, the ones who have arrived. They are the ones that we want to be with. They are the ones that we want to be like. And that leads to the woes of Jesus. The woes of Jesus and the danger that we all face. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. I want you to hear me on this because I think this gets mistaught a lot. Jesus isn't telling us to get rid of our money. Jesus isn't saying that money or wealth itself is evil. He's not saying get rid of all of your money and possessions and become poor if you want to be blessed in the kingdom. That's not what he's saying. Jesus had wealthy followers and he had wealthy friends. I am certain that he isn't telling us or telling the people there to get rid of all of your food and go really, really hungry. Jesus ate often. He, he attended feasts. He shared meals with other people. He attended celebrations. I am certain that at those, he, he celebrated. And he enjoyed his life, and he, he probably laughed often. I, I'm, I am sure that he did. I don't think it's a curse for people to speak well of you. In fact, it's a blessing when people speak well of you as you follow Jesus. We are to be spoken well of. Our reputation for being followers of Jesus should be a good reputation. In fact, it's one of the qualifications for being an elder. I also don't think that Jesus is saying here that the poor and the hungry will have a better place in heaven and more blessings than those of us who, who, who may be wealthy and full now. I, I, I don't think he's saying that there is a better place in heaven for those who, who are poor. I don't think he's saying, listen, you guys who have money, you're, you're going to be at the, at the bottom. when you, You're going to be in the ghetto in heaven. I actually think what he's saying is far worse than that. I think Jesus is saying that for the wealthy, for the full, for the joyfully satisfied and the praised here and now, there is a danger that yours is not the kingdom of God at all. But it's not tied to your money. It's not tied to your food. It's not tied to your weeping. Who has your heart? Who or what has your heart? I, I, think, I think that is exactly what Jesus is talking about. He's saying to his disciples who, who willingly gave up everything. Like, 
like the parable of the, the one who sold everything that he had so that he could gain the, the field. Where is your treasure? That's what Jesus is talking about. Blessed are you who are poor because you have chosen me. Blessed are you who are poor because you have chosen me. Yours is the kingdom of God. But woe, woe to you who love your wealth and your possessions more than you love me. Blessed are you who are hungry now because you follow me. For you shall be satisfied, but woe to you who have already found your satisfaction here and now in your possessions. You will be hungry. Blessed are you who weep now because you profess my name, because you stand with me. Your, your weeping will be turned into laughter. But woe to you who laugh now, overjoyed with the world, no connection with my name. You will mourn. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and, and spurn your name because you, you love me. I see you, Jesus is saying. I know and I love you. Your Father sees you and your reward will be great in heaven. But woe, woe to you who live for the praise and the applause of men. Who or what has your heart? I think that's the point. What a hard point. So let me give you some takeaways this morning from this section and this introduction to an, an upside-down kingdom. Right? Countercultural to, to Jesus' day and countercultural to our day. Some takeaways this morning. First of all, Jesus is king and his kingdom here and now is not at all what we expect. His kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It is quite upside-down. So, so when we think about the kingdom of God, remember this. Remember this upside-down kingdom. The second thing, Jesus gives us two warnings here. In this countercultural kingdom, Jesus says there will likely be suffering when we follow him. We should expect suffering if we are following Jesus. Let me say that again because the church in our culture has a terrible theology of suffering. And that means we have a terrible theology. If you are a follower of Christ, you should expect to suffer because you are a follower of Christ. And we have enjoyed in our country a, a long history of Christendom where, where, where largely Christian morals have led our nation, right? We have enjoyed that, and it has been very beneficial. Hear me, those days are gone. Those days are gone. And in our post-Christian culture, we should expect many worldly cursings because we follow the king. The ways of the king are no longer acceptable. 
And as we stand in the ways of the king, as we follow the ways of the king, as we believe, follow the, the truth of what our king tells us, and we, we do our very best to, to follow him, in a world that despises him more and more, we should expect their cursing. And then we have the warning. We should expect suffering. And our second warning is who has your heart? Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Is that the king and his kingdom? If so, blessed are you. Is your treasure the, the, the joys and fulfillment of this world? Then woe to you. I, I think it's interesting here, and I've had a couple of conversations through the week about this. Jesus doesn't give us black and white. Jesus doesn't give us the list that the Pharisees did. Jesus doesn't tell us what rich is. What is rich? Who, who is rich? How do we determine what rich is? These are the things that we want. How much is full? How much is too full? We, we, we want the list that the Pharisees had on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, it's, it's, your list is wrong. Are we, are we rich when we compare ourselves to a, a third world nation? Is that what the comparison should be? Should we compare ourselves to Elon Musk? Who do we compare ourselves so that we can determine whether we're rich or not? I will tell you this, whoever in here is trying to determine whether they are rich or not based on a comparison of money and a value of our possessions, you will always choose someone who has more than you and say, I am not the one who is rich. Jesus leaves us hanging because the point isn't how much money you have. The point isn't whether you ate enough at lunch. The point is who has your heart. The point is what do you treasure? The point is do you, do you love him and his kingdom enough to suffer like the disciples? When it costs you money, or are you going to follow your king? Do you value him more than those things? Do you value him more than the praise of men? That, that's what Jesus is asking. His is a hard kingdom. But there is good news. It is true that our king tells us that we may indeed suffer like he has suffered. Our king tells us that. And when he looked at those disciples, he knew they would suffer. He knew they would die because they followed him. He knew that they would be, they would be imprisoned, they would be beaten, they would lose everything because they followed him. He knew that. But that was not their end. 
For those who love and follow him, there will be a righting of every wrong. Every wrong will be righted. Our king is coming back, and when he does, there will be justice. When he does, there will be restoration. There will be a kingdom, a kingdom for those who have been poor, a feast for those who have been hungry. He will wipe away every tear, turning our mourning into laughter. In his fully established kingdom, we will live with him forevermore. This is our beautiful hope. It's not here and now. It's when our king comes back. And it is a beautiful hope. And, and, and as the apostle Paul said, all of this suffering, nothing compared to the glory that will be ours. Rethink his kingdom and the kingdom of this world. And I think that you will find that we are very much like the Jewish people who listened to him on that day. Expect suffering. Cling to the promises of the kingdom that will be. Let's pray. Father, those are hard words. <laughs> Help us. Help us to look beyond the suffering. Help us to look beyond what it, what it means potentially to, to, to be connected to Jesus, to see the beauty of the kingdom that will be. Help us to, to, to have our hope, our confident expectation, not in all of the things that this world tells us is great, but in the kingdom that is your promise. Father, we believe. Help us. Help us in our unbelief. What a challenge. In Jesus' name, amen.